and that I enjoyed reading the most of the three of them. So, anyhow, Proverbs chapter 10, we'll read the entire chapter. The heading at the top of the chapter says, Contrast of Righteous and the Wicked. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. The rich man's wealth is his fortress, the ruin of the poor is their poverty. The wages of the righteous is life, the income of the wicked, punishment. He is on the path of life who heeds instruction, but he who ignores reproof goes astray. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver, the heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. The way of the Lord is strong to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth, the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. Is it for me, dear Savior, thy glory and thy rest? For me so weak and sinful, oh, shall I be so blessed? Oh, Savior, my Redeemer, what can I but adore? And magnify and praise thee and love thee evermore. Is it for me thy welcome, thy gracious entering? For me thy come, ye blessed, for me so full of sin. O oh, Savior, my Redeemer, what
what can I but adore and magnify and praise thee and love thee evermore. O Savior, precious Savior, my heart is at thy feet. I bless thee and I love thee and thee I long to meet. O Savior, my Redeemer, what can I but adore and magnify and praise thee and love thee evermore. I'll be with thee forever and never grieve thee more. Dear Savior, I must praise thee and love thee evermore. O Savior, my Redeemer, what can I but adore and magnify and praise thee and love thee evermore. Morning. New Testament reading is Acts twenty-eight one six. Auntie Barb's not here. She always tells me to wait till she flips there because I read too fast. So. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess of justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off in the fire and suffered no ill effects. People expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Hear the silence. <laughs> Bless good morning to each and every one of you. If, if you don't have the ability to say good morning with a lot of Vega, I could understand because I have bad news and good news. And I am going to give the bad news first. The bad news is we got in this morning into Carmen at about minutes to one. So if I look sleepy, I actually am. <laughs> That's the bad news. The good news is you're going to have a very short sermon today. And I can see from the reaction of your faces that you really love the good news. <laughs> And that's part of the reason we are members of the body of Christ, because we love the gospel, right? And that's good news. But it's certainly an honor, a joy, and a magnanimous privilege to be here once again with you in common. And this time, I brought along with me the Abraham clan. I have Sarah with me, better known as Elister. I'm Abraham, so Sarah, of course. You know. <laughs> Just if you might be wondering if that's her name. I have Ab my wife with me. Would you, would you mind standing so everyone could get an opportunity to see you? That's my better 
And I have my kiddos with me. Omarion, would you mind standing? That's my older son. <laughs> He's a high schooler now. And I have my bundle of joy, twinos. Tyreek and Shariah, would you also mind standing as well? <laughs> I hate to put you guys on the spot. <laughs> but um, we are extremely happy and we consider it a grand privilege to be here with you again and to have the opportunity to share our faith in the risen Savior with you. I think I can say without successful contradiction that we serve an awesome God. And if you believe that, look to the person next to you and tell them, I serve an awesome God. What about you? <laughs> He's certainly awesome because when we feel lonely, the Bible tells us, Jesus said, and lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the ages. When we find ourselves meandering in darkness, he is called the light of the world. When we find ourselves being lost at times and confused and perplexed, he is the good shepherd that brings us back on course. When our souls are starved, he is the bread of life. When we find ourselves thirsty, he is the living water. When we find ourselves being weak and powerless and enervated, he is El Shaddai, Almighty God. When we find ourselves in need of being healed and being restored, he is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. When we find ourselves in need of great abundance, he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who supplies. So I stand here this morning, Carmen, to let you know that the God that we serve is an all-sufficient God. He is a God that meets us where we are, and he takes us to where we ought to be. And that ought to be good news to you this morning, because I know that we are not always in the place we ought to be. And the thing with God is that he doesn't hold that against us. He fellowships with us where we are, and in the fellowship, he brings us to where we ought to be. So I'm pretty grateful that I serve a God who understands and a God who's also willing to make amends. I want to invite you to the scripture reading at this time. And I'm going to try my utmost to hit the ground running. Based on the immensity of the message and the scarcity of time, I am going to take you to Acts chapter 28 and verse number 1, and I will culminate at verse number 6. In Acts chapter 28, verse 1, it reads this way. After we were brought safely through, then learn, or rather we then learn, that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to leave. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said to one another that he is a God. This is the reading of the word of God. And I'm going to ask you to cooperate with me and say amen if you would. Amen. Based on the reading, I want to present to you a message entitled, Shake It Off and Remain Standing. 
shake it off and remain standing. I'm reminded of a story I heard about of a farmer who went into the forest one day with his horse. And as he made his way into the forest, it happened that that horse fell into a very deep hole. So trying to exhaust all of the methods to rescue the horse, the farmer realized that his attempts were futile. So he said, rather than allow the horse to suffer in the hole, I might as well bury that horse. So he took his shovel and he started throwing dirt on that horse. It so happened that every time he threw dirt on the horse, the horse would just shake off the dirt and trample it under its feet. Well, that happened for a few minutes, and a few minutes turned into hours. And after shaking off so many dirt from its back, the horse actually just walked out of the hole and moved into safety. Something that was meant as an avenue to bury the horse became an opportunity for the horse's salvation, simply because it decided to shake it off and kept standing. I want to submit to you that as we go through the Christian experience, there are some things in life that we're going to have to shake off if we're going to remain standing. In fact, as we will look at the text, it will become pretty clear that we will encounter some snake bites in this Christian experience. And if you and I don't develop the ability to shake off those things very quickly, then it's going to be a very detrimental walk in the Christian life. One person by the name of Les Brown, he said, and I quote, success is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. I want to say that again. Les Brown, who was considered one of the greatest motivational speakers in America, he said, and I quote, success is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. We find in the book of Acts chapter number 28, a very interesting episode surrounding the Apostle Paul. The scripture tells us that Paul being shipwrecked on the island, verse one said Paul and the rest of the prisoners discovered that the name of the island was called Malta. And the people, the Maltese, showed them unusual or exceptional kindness. It is pretty interesting, saints of God, that as members of the body of Christ, we are called to be people who are hospitable, people who show kindness to those we come in contact with. Paul was on this island and he was shipwrecked. And the natives showed him and the rest of the prisoners unusual kindness. And the scripture says that Paul, when he gathered some sticks, when he bundled some sticks, and was about to throw those sticks into the fire to keep a bigger blaze, it so happened that due to the heat of the fire, that a viper came out from the sticks and bit him. And the reaction of the natives changed quickly. Because in verse 1, the scripture tells us that they showed Paul unusual kindness and the rest of the prisoners. But the kindness changed into suspicion and judgment. Because the scripture tells us in verse number 4 in Acts chapter 28, that when the natives saw the viper hanging from Paul's hand, they said that this guy is a murderer. And although he was safely brought to the island through the shipwreck, it happened that justice, which was a goddess to the Maltese, met Paul and rendered judgment. Could you imagine that? In one instant, they're showing Paul and the rest of the prisoners unusual kindness. But based on the evidence of the snake bite, the kindness changed into suspicion and judgment. But Paul did something that we all ought to do when life throws us some snake bites. And that is Paul shook off the snake into the fire. 
And the scripture tells us that the natives, they looked on because keep in mind that this is not any type of snake. This is a viper. This is an extremely venomous snake. And they understood how venom works because it takes a particular amount of minutes for venom to get into the bloodstream. And what happens is that it congeals the blood. You start to swell up and eventually drop dead. So they understood the process of how venom worked and they were expecting Paul to drop dead. But Paul kept standing. Paul stayed resolute. Paul was unaffected. And being such, the scripture says they changed their minds and said this guy has to be a god. Because something is not working in normalcy. Something is not working according to the laws of nature. And it so happened that this guy, Paul, is defying the actual process of how venom should affect the human body. So from this context, I want to lift to you at this time just two points when you are beaten by your snakes. Because in life, saints of God, snake bites come in different forms. Snake bites come in so many different ways. There are myriads and plethora of ways in which snake bites come at us. And we ought to shake them off. Because a lot of the times what happens is we are way harder on ourselves than God is on us. And sometimes, just to flip it conversely, we are very much soft on ourselves. And God is saying you should be a bit harder. So there ought to be a very keen balance in looking at how we handle our snake bites in life. The first thing you ought to shake off as a member of the body of Christ is fear. And I'm saying this to each and every one of us because we all experience fear in one way or the other. And I want to submit to you, saints of God, that God has given us every single thing he has equipped us with the spirit of his son, with his very spirit, so that we overcome every challenge that we are confronted with. Fear should not be a part of our verbiage or expression when we are called to serve God. We should stand resolute, we should stand valiantly, we should stand brave and courageously as members of the body of Christ. In fact, someone said, putting fear in an acronym, he said, fear is simply false evidence appearing real. Another person said, fear also means in an acronym, forget everything and run. <laughs> and then one bright person said that fear should mean face everything and rise. And it's based on how we see the problem before us, saints of God. Because fear is a small four-letter word, but it has a magnanimous impact on how we function as humans. Quite ironically, fear has robbed us of some of the blessings that God has blessed us, or rather promised to bless us with. And if we are willing to walk with God, then we ought to put off this feeling of fear. In fact, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse 7, Paul said, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Just look at that text closely. He's saying to a young man, God has not. So if that fear is, it's not of God. God has not given you the spirit of fear. And the word he used for fear in the Greek phobos implies timidity. In other words, what Paul is telling Timothy is God has not given you a mindset to think small of yourself. Hello? That's what Paul is telling Timothy. That, that humility is not equivalent to timidity. He's saying to, to Timothy, who's a young guy, placed in the city of Ephesus, placed within the cradle of sophistication, 
placed within the presence of men who are scholastic, he's saying you should not feel intimidated just because they are more learned than you. That's what he's saying, because that's what Timothy was experiencing as a young preacher. He was placed within a civilization of men and women who were smart, intelligent, recondite, and sagacious, and he felt intimidated to the point that he badgered back, that he reverted from his stance in the gospel. And Paul had to write to him in 2 Timothy to say, young guys, stand up, because God has not given you that spirit of timidity. In fact, as a soldier of God, you need to stand brave. As a soldier of God, you need to realize that God is on your side. As a soldier of God, you have the assurance that the ammunition of God is to your availability. So why should you be afraid? Why should you be panicky? Why should you be doubtful? God has not given you that spirit of fear. I could hear David saying, in Psalms chapter 27 and verse 1, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's rhetorical. God is the one who clears my path and he saves me from my dangers. Whom shall I fear? He says, The Lord is the strength of my life, the very life force of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? And in Psalms chapter 23 and verse 4, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yea, though in fact, even if I walk through experiences that has the ability to alarm me and to make me afraid, I am not going to be afraid. And I'm not going to be afraid, not because I'm a big bad boy. That's not what he's saying. I am not going to be afraid, not because I know more than they do. I am not going to be afraid, not because I think I'm all that and a bag of chips. <laughs> David is saying, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because though God art with me, what made him resolute what made him confident what made him courageous is because he was absolutely positively unequivocally sure that he walked with the king and that should put some some pep in your step that should give you some vigor for life experiences just to know that the creator of the universe stands with you i always look forward to preach the gospel because I know I'm not doing it by myself. I know when I stand in direct connection with what God expects, he gives me the power to do it. It's not about being witty. It's not about doing all those seminary moments and minutes. It's about staying in line in connection with God. And I have a story to back that up with regards to how fear works. My oldest son, Omarion, he was three years at the time. And one day, my wife dropped Omarion over to my parents' home. And during the afternoon, I was given the task to pick him up and take him back home. So I walked over, because we lived about 10 minutes away from my parents. So I walked over, collected him, or picked him up, and was making my way back home. The danger of that is we have to walk extremely close to the highway. So there are vehicles passing at ridiculous speeds near us. And I'm walking with Omarion, I'm holding his hand, we are walking near the highway, vehicles are passing at some ridiculous speeds, and something just told me, look at Omarion. And when I looked at him, his eyes were shut. He's walking with me, in the presence of death, in the presence of danger, and his eyes are shut. So I said to him, Omarion, why are you walking with your eyes closed? And he said to me, Daddy, you're holding my hands. Back then, I had no clue what that meant. 
I had no clue that that would be a God moment. And now, walking with God so much longer, what Omarion was saying is that, Dad, I trust that if you hold my hands, you'll take me home safely. Dad, I have confidence in you that you know what you're doing. At least, I hope he did. <laughs> Dad, I, I, I put my life in your hands. And I can walk by faith, not by sight. I don't have to see where I'm going because I know you know where you're going. And that's a beautiful thing because that is what should encapsulate our experience as members of the body of Christ. That because we are absolutely, resolutely sure that we are walking with the creator of the universe, there is no reason to be afraid. I could see David standing before Goliath when he made that statement in Psalms 27. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Standing before Goliath, a man about nine feet and a half tall, big and strong and experienced, well-armed. And David said, you come to me with your spear and with your javelin, but I come to you in the name or by the authority of God. You might be big to Israel, but you're small to my God. And just because I know who I serve, I am not going to allow the circumstances outwardly to become a detractor in my course as I walk with God. So the first thing you're going to have to shake off is fear. And it's amazing because we have several different fears. There is claustrophobia. Those of you who might be afraid of closed space. There is agoraphobia. Those of you who are afraid of open spaces. Folks who don't like to socialize much. Just the idea of talking to someone in the open makes you like, I'm not up for that. There is also pyrophobia, people who are afraid of fires. There is hydrophobia, people who are afraid of water. I found that pretty amazed. I was like, wow, what's that? Afraid of water, but that's a thing. There is also monophobia, people who are afraid of being alone. There is also gamophobia, people who are afraid of getting married. And all the other phobias go on and go on and go on and go on. But Paul is saying to Timothy, with regards to your standing before people, don't allow yourself to be intimidated by anyone because you stand with God. So I'm saying to you, Carmen, that as you go out and you leave for God and you leave with God, ensure that you have resolutely that God is with you. And that should become your impetus to function in this life. That should become your impetus to do ministry even more effectively. That should become your impetus to go out and to let the beautiful words of the gospel resonate through the streets of Carmen. So the first thing to shake off is fear. The second and the last thing that we ought to shake off is failure. And I said that the message is going to be short, and I'm right on time. I can see from your eyes I'm still doing okay with regards to time. They say generally preachers hear with their eyes. That's what they say. <laughs> so I'm saying that I'm doing okay with regards to time. The second thing you ought to shake off is failure. And that is a pretty important thing right there because sometimes we, we go through experiences and we allow the experiences to define who we are. Churches at times make bad moves and they wallow and look in review, rather. They, they stay within that particular scenario almost for the entire existence and never allow themselves to grow. The fact of the matter is failure is a part of the experience. One person by the name of Zig Ziglar said, you can't be great at anything unless you're willing to fail first. There is no one in this room, there is no one who is alive who has not failed at something. 
The good news is you will fail at something. But God has already made provisions for you. He has. He knows that you will fail at something. That is why we have words like grace being mentioned in the Bible. That is why we have words like mercy being mentioned in the Bible. That is why we have words like forgiveness being mentioned in the Bible. Because God knows from a human standpoint, we will err. We definitely need a savior. Part of being a parent has actually taught me when I look at my kids and I saw how they moved in their developmental stages. I, I had the opportunity three times to see my kids going through the process of learning to walk. And it's not something that you always enjoy looking at, to see your kiddos repeatedly falling and trying and just, just going through the place and just sometimes make it a mess. But have you ever seen a baby who said that, you know what, I might as well just give up on walking because I really suck at doing this. <laughs> I've fallen way too many times. And I just don't want to walk anymore. I'm done with trying. I've fallen way too. I think walking should be for someone else. I'm not good at this at all. No. They fall. They try again. They fall. They do it repeatedly. And then they get to the point where they can stand and walk. Failure is part of the equation. It's part of the journey. And as you go through this life, when you fail as a Christian, don't stay within the situation to allow it to define you. Get up, move forward, and match with the assurance that God has forgiven you and God is with you. No wonder, as we look in the scriptures, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter number 24 and verse number 16, Solomon, the proverbial writer, said, For a righteous man falls seven times. Now, I, that always got me perplexed. A righteous man. That's a man in right standing with God. Most of the times, when we hear righteous, we think that that person is always in right standing. That that person doesn't make any bad calls. But Solomon said, for a righteous man, someone in covenantal relationship with God, falls seven times. And when he uses the number seven, from the Hebrew standpoint, he's not literally saying seven times. Seven in Hebrew numerology signifies completion, which means irrespective of how many times he falls, he's going to get back up. <laughs> this is what... Solomon is saying that it doesn't matter how often he falls just because of his covenant relationship with God, just because he realizes that he has a responsibility to God, he's not going to stay there. He's going to get up, he's going to dust up, and he's going to move out. Can you imagine that verbiage being expressed in scripture that a righteous man falls seven times that God has already made provisions that you will fall he knows that and the apostle Paul says it way better in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 13 and 14 he says brethren I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press towards the map for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is looking back at his Judaistic experience and he's saying that there are certain things that I, that I accomplished. There are certain bad calls that I made. There are certain experiences that I had. In fact, I was the one who was consenting to Stephen's death. I actually persecuted Christians all over the place, but that's behind me. I can't go in the past and undo the acts, but I can cease the now and change the trajectory of my life 
I don't have to put a period where God has a comma. I can change the outcome of the story. Yes, chapter 5 may have been a bad chapter in my life. But there's chapter 6. And chapter 6 could be a plot twist. <laughs> chapter 6 could be a totally different outcome. It could be something where poetic justice prevails. <laughs> Too many times as members of the body of Christ, we allow our bad chapter fives to be the end of the book. Yes, I made a bad call when I was in high school, and, and that's me for the rest of my life. Yes, probably I didn't parent the, my kids the way I ought to, or the way I should have back then. And we feel that we are failures for the rest of our lives. I should have spoken to my husband more kindly. I should have spoken to my wife more kindly. And yes, you should have. But the fact of the matter is you can't go back. But you can change now. And you can move forward with a totally different outcome. You can be a better person. You can change. The motivational speaker, Eric Thomas, he said, fall seven times, but get up eight and be great. And recapping an experience with Thomas Edison, the great American inventor, there was an experience where after Thomas Edison tried for over 2,000 times to get the light bulb to light and failed, that his assistant said to him, we might as well just give up because we've tried for 2,000 times and we have failed. There is absolutely no way we can get this light bulb to light. And Thomas Edison looked at him and said, we didn't fail because we now know that there are 2,000 ways in which a light bulb will not light. <laughs> and he tried again. And I'm saying this to say to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that how we look at the situation changes the entire outcome of it. Sometimes the bad things we end up in, the bad choices we make, could be a situation divinely created to get us into the very places that God expects us to get to. And when we look at this with regards to what happened in Acts chapter 28, you would understand that Paul is on the island of Malta. He is on his voyage to Rome. Because in Acts 25, standing before Governor Festus, Festus gave him the opportunity to have his hearing in Jerusalem. But Paul said that I appeal to Caesar's court. So Festus said, I'm going to send you to Rome to, to stand before Caesar to give your story before Caesar, to have your hearing before Caesar. And Paul now, watch this, is going through this experience. He finds himself on Malta being shipwrecked on his way to Rome. And if you realize in Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 15, Paul writes to the Romans and he says to them, for as much as is in me, I am now ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. He had a burning intention to get to Rome. He wanted to get to Rome as a free person. He wanted to get to Rome on his own volition. But God had a totally different plan. God eventually got Paul to Rome, and God got Rome to pay for the price. Can, can you think about that? God got Paul to Rome. Paul would have gone there probably through the means of raising his own funds. But God said, I have something totally better. It might not be how you envision it, but I'm going to get you here nonetheless. And God said, I'm getting you to Rome, but I'm going to let Rome pay the bill. Because <laughs> you could use that money to do something else on the gospel. He got there. He had the experience of being in Rome. He had the experience of converting some of the Romans. He had the experience of strengthening the church. But all of that, there's an interruption in 28 where he's on that island and due to his reaction or lack thereof, the Maltese realize that there's a true God. 
they realized that their animistic views was totally trumped or overlooked or surpassed by the true sovereign living God, Jehovah. So your situation at times, saints of God, could simply be an avenue in which God is working out his masterful, glorious plan to get you to his intended destination. So yes, you might feel afraid at times, shake it off. Yes, you may have failed in the past, shake it off. Yes, you might be feeling like a failure even now, shake it off. Because the experiences you've been through, God is indeed willing to use those experiences to get you to where he wants you to be. And that is why Paul could look back at all of the experiences in his life and he said, and I know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God can put those pieces together in ways that our minds cannot fathom. He can use the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life <laughs> to write more perfectly his story. And I'm saying this to you, Carmen. And I pray and trust that something will have blessed you along the message. But as you go through life, I pray and trust that you develop the ability to shake off those bad experiences that you may have had and to keep standing as a church. I was told by Brother Leslie Williams that this congregation is probably the oldest congregation in Canada. And that's a good thing historically. That's a, that's a great thing. You have a legacy for Christ. And God is so pleased with that legacy. Because we are living in a day and an age where so many churches of Christ are just going contrary to scriptures and doing whatever they want. But the fact that you have stood absolutely positively on the doctrine of Christ is a testament in itself. That God has not only started, but God is doing mightily his work through this church. And there's so much more to be done. I pray that you're blessed by this. And if in any way you need prayers, you can come forward as we sing the song of encouragement if there's one at this time. God bless you. Eight hundred and sixty. There is a habitation built by the living God for all of every nation who seek that grand abode. Shall ever move a stone. O Zion, Zion, I long thy gates to see. O Zion, Zion, when shall I dwell in thee? No. Night is there no sorrow, no death and no decay, no yesterday, no morrow, but one eternal day. Shall I dwell?
pearly portals, angelic armies sing with glorified immortals the praises of its King. O Zion, Zion, I long thy gates to Once again, we want to thank you for uh, being with us this morning. We're grateful for, to Curtis for his message today. I was thinking, you know, as he was saying about being tired, once in a while he closes his eyes when he's preaching, and I was hoping that that wasn't a sign he was falling asleep, you know. But <clears throat> and we're, we are, we're, we're blessed to be together this morning. And... Um, and we trust that you will um, take advantage of our time uh, for our fellowship uh, now, and then we'll have class in the multipurpose room, the adult class, and the children will be uh, where they usually uh, meet for uh, the class time. Remember this afternoon, weather permitting, we'll have uh, some fellowship and some food out at the Taylor farm. and. We will look forward to enjoying either there or here time of fellowship. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we're thankful for the message uh, this morning, and uh, we're thankful for the encouragement that we have from Scripture, that we don't have to, we don't have to be afraid, and uh, we don't have to worry about uh, the missteps that we make, the failures that happen in our lives, uh, because they could be just stepping stones to greater achievements. And so, Father, bless us. Bless us with a clear understanding of your word and the promises of an eternal home with you in heaven. Bless our time of fellowship, our time around lunch today, and our fellowship this afternoon and evening. It's good, Father, uh, to be together, and we thank you for each other. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. <clears throat> 